0: right got your Bibles if you would please turn to uh, Jonah the book of Jonah and we're going to finish up this book tonight Lord willing. So if you've got Jonah chapter 4 we ended last time Jonah has vented his irritation at God's grace shown to the Ninevites, now, God has some things to say and do to Jonah. Uh, Jonah is going to be denounced for his bad attitude that he has. By both word and deed, God's going to rebuke Jonah and endeavor to instill a better attitude in him. So let's read a couple of verses here. Chapter 4, verse 4, Then, saith, ther, sa, then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow and sucked his thumb till he might see what would become of the city. That last, I added a little bit in there, but that's kind of how he was acting here. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a warm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. <laughs> it's you never, ever want to see that. Uh, what a stubborn, thick-headed man Jonah was. I do well to be angry. Even unto death, then saith the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, and which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score, six score thousand persons? that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, that's talking about children, little children, who can't tell the right from their left yet. Six score thousand persons. That's uh, six times 20. What's that? It takes a while. I don't have my calculator on. Thank you. Yeah. That's a lot of children. All right. And also much cattle. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at the closing of this book, but to be a challenge to us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah's attitude needed to be dealt with. He had a bad attitude. It was a big problem because it dishonored God and it rendered him useless in God's service. We often put things like drinking and gambling and uh, immorality on the big list or the list of big sins that we can be involved in, and we should, of course. We don't often think of a wrong spirit as a serious sin, but we should, because a wrong spirit, a bad attitude, will do just about as much to keep you from doing anything for God as another big sin might. Uh, We learn from Jonah's life that it's just as lethal to have this type of attitude as far as serving God as these other big sins are. John Maxwell defines it this way, the attitude is an inward feeling, Expressed by behavior. And Jonah's behavior certainly was affected by his inward feeling, his attitude. Uh, I'm going to read you kind of a long quote by Chuck Swindoll. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude is more important than facts. The past, education, circumstances, failures and successes. It is more important than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearances or skill It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. We can we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the inevitable. But the only thing we can do is play on the one thing that we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me, 90% how I react to it, end quote. That's a lot of truth there. How important our attitude is. So tonight, one of the things that we'll do as we go throughout this closing of the book of Jonah is to do an attitude check. How's your attitude And uh, as we see God work? We would do a lot more for the Lord if we recognize the sin of a wrong spirit. Many who have never drank alcohol, uh, did drugs, gambled, other sins you want to list... Uh, Uh, I've avoided many of those sins in my life, but yet we can have a sour attitude like Jonah's. And we're not much better off as far as serving God goes than the people that are caught up in those other sins. So the problem is we often don't recognize this as a sin quite as quickly. Uh, So if we've got those don'ts uh, in our life, uh, we'll often get involved at church and people will put them in positions at church. And yet, this wrong spirit can do much to destroy the work of God in that church. It cultivates things like backbiting and gossip and and uh, murmuring and complaining, disrespect for one another. And no church prospers when these things prevail. So we need to deal with these things in our life. We need to once in a while do an attitude check and uh, look at how, <clears throat> look at what uh, we can do to make that better. But let's look at how God dealt with Jonah. Uh, we begin with the searching here in, in verse number four. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Like a physician that kind of probes a wound before it brings about its healing, Jonah is. Or God is starting to probe the heart of Jonah. What grace was it that God has this type of patience for Jonah? He could have squashed Jonah like a bug. By the way, he can do that for us as well. Uh, he doesn't have to have patience with us, and yet... Here he was uh, being so patient with Jonah and having grace, while Jonah has a rotten, nasty uh, attitude. But God God is exactly what Jonah knew God to be in verse 3. Look back up at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my... uh, That is not uh, Jonah 3. Okay, I lost it. Slow of anger and of great kindness. That's what Jonah had said he knew God to be. And of course, as we talked about last week, we love when God is slow of anger and of great kindness to us, but Jonah certainly didn't like it when he was that way toward his enemies. And so we need to make sure that our attitude stays right. Before God deals with a firm hand of judgment, uh, he will reason with man about his sin. This order is seen in Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's the order in which he does it. It is rebuke before chasten. First, he tries to reason with us to get us to change our ways. Maybe this is through his word. Maybe it is through a a sermon that we hear or a lesson that we hear in Sunday school or something God brings our way to say, hey, wake up, warning. This is your you're going the wrong direction. And we hear it. And if we don't listen, we don't change our ways and we don't uh, respond to the rebuke, then he has to move to chastening, Uh, more severe dealings with the rod, and we'll see that in a minute. Uh, We can repent when he rebukes, or we can continue to rebel until we get the rod. The rebuke is always easier than the rod. then, I remember this growing up, Uh, we had, my dad was a believer in the rod, more specifically the belt, okay? The belt and the rod are interchangeable, scripturally speaking, I think. But he uh, believed in that, and uh, if if I listen to what he says, then I don't have to suffer the uh, the rod or the belt later. And, and it's the same way with the Lord. So the question that God asked Jonah implied that not all anger is bad. Dost thou well to be angry? Some anger is justifiable. Paul said, "Be angry and sin not." Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty six. And uh, sometimes we do well to be angry, sometimes, I would say rarely, uh, there is such a thing as moral indignation. Evil should upset us. It certainly did Jesus think about when he flipped over the tables. Now, we're going to talk about this more on Sunday when we talk about hate and murder and those different things in the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, Jonah's anger was totally unjustified because his anger was motivated by selfishness. If you'll notice, every time Jesus got angry uh, that we see in the New Testament, it was never on behalf of his own offense. He did not get angry at those that offended him or hurt him. It was on the fact that of sin or holiness of God was under attack. So th- th- this Jonah's anger is upset with God's behavior. It has nothing to do with justified moral indignation. He is angry because of how God acted in grace. If Jonah's going to be answering, uh, honest in answering God's question, dost thou well to be angry, it better be an emphatic, big, fat, no, I don't have a, I do not well to be angry. He most certainly doesn't have that right. Now, the question alone condemned his attitude. But notice, secondly, the sitting, instead of answering, which he didn't. We don't see an answer here. Jonah went outside of the city till he might see what would become of the city. Verse 5. God, with his question here, was attempting to reason Jonah out of his stinky attitude. And again, this is God's grace that he did that in the first place. But Jonah didn't even answer. That's, that's pretty disrespectful. Uh, have you ever asked your child a question and they just look at you? And uh, you say, I asked you a question, I expect an answer. And if they don't answer, they just continue. That's a sign of disrespect. And we don't allow that in our home, nor, so, because it is very disrespectful. And here, uh, Jonah was that way to the Lord. Our text says, Jonah went out to the east side of the city to sit. Now, sitting can be a form of rebellion. It certainly was in the way Jonah did it here. Uh, it reveals the brooding spirit of a man who is displeased with God's ways uh, or what God has done. He's, in other words, he's basically pouting. He's got his passy or his thumb. He's sucking on it and he's pouting. He's angry because of what God did. Uh, his sitting will not be a pleasant experience. When we start sulking and complaining and whining and getting uh, having a little pity party, it's not going to be pleasant for us. Before it was over, in verse 8, it says he was going to wish that he was dead. Jonah sat so he would see what would become of the city. How foolish this is. Nineveh had been spared judgment, but Jonah was going to sit and watch just in case judgment might come anyway, hoping for it. uh, Hoping something bad will happen. What an attitude he had. Now, this makes no sense, but Jonah's out of sorts with God. And can I tell you that when we're out of sorts with God, we do a lot of things that make no sense. We do a lot of things that are foolish. So now let's look at the shadowing. It's been... uh, Been said, the grace of God is manifested both for repenting sinners and repining saints, uh, repining or whining. And I'm grateful for it because God was so patient with Jonah. Like he, he had grace with the Ninevites and now he's having grace. Let me remind you again the book of Jonah has 48 verses. 48 verses. Four of those 48 are Nineveh getting right. Four. Wicked godless, spiteful, hateful, evil Nineveh. Four verses are dedicated. They got right. Didn't take long at all, all for them. 48 minus 4, I think, is 44. 44 verses. God trying to get his man into gear. And that's a sad thing. That's a whole other message. I'm not going to go there. But God wants to do much more, I think, than, than uh, he gets done because... We don't, we don't comply. We don't get on board with what he wants to do. And so uh, it's a sad thing if you've got to have a lot more time and effort spent getting your man in gear than these wicked Ninevites. So he's patient with Jonah. Get, scripture says God prepared the gourd in verse 6. Prepared is the same word used in chapter 1. God prepared a great fish, chapter 1, verse 17. He did a miracle to provide Jonah with the shade here. Verse 6 tells us that It tells us the reason for the shade and then the reaction. Look at the reason. The reason God shaded him was to deliver him from his grief. Now, I like words, and here's a fascinating fact. The word, look at Jonah 1, 2. I want to show you something. Uh, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The original word for wickedness is the same exact word for the word grief in this verse here. So he, uh, in, uh, when he says to deliver him from his grief, it basically, <laughs> his wickedness. He had the same, he had a bad attitude, uh, in God's assessment of Jonah's attitude was same as his assessment of Nineveh's wickedness. Isn't it strange that after Nineveh gets right and repents of their wickedness, now the preacher is guilty of the same type of wickedness, basically. Uh, and he is having to get his heart right as well. God is not providing the shade just for Jonah's fleshly enjoyment. He's providing the shade hoping to correct an evil. And, and it is a case of God, the goodness of God, like Romans 2.4 says the goodness of God uh, being used to lead to repentance. That's what the hope was here. He does the same for us. Now, it's a bad thing when we use the good things of God that he brings into our life to lead us to repentance and we use it for selfish gain. Because I tell you what's going to happen. It's going to get taken away from us. You know what happened to Jonah's gourd here? It got taken away from him. We'll see that in a minute. Because his response was not good. He had two major problems here. His poor uh, poor affections for the things of God and his poor appreciation. Look at his affections, what it says here. Um, okay, uh, verse 6, the last line. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. That word exceeding we find in verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly that he was very angry. Now, being exceeding glad for the gourd, what's wrong with that? Nothing in and of itself. But to be exceedingly displeased with God, but to be exceeding glad for the gourd, tells us he had a little bit of a problem with his affections. He was very glad for relief for his physical body from the hot burning sun, but he had no joy when souls were given relief from the burning heat of divine wrath. I mean, he had these thousands of people that were spared. He had no joy for them, but he's glad for this gourd. This is a messed up thing. Can I tell you this? I should write this down. What makes you glad, mad, or sad reveals your soul's condition. What makes you happy? What makes you glad? If it's only earthly things, if it's only fleshly, then that's a problem. How sad it is when we can become excited about the things of the world, but not about spiritual things. Paul said in Colossians 3 2, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It's it's if we're in a wrong place and if we have a bad attitude like Jonah did here, uh, we can be really happy over a gourd while we're displeased with God. If our affections are in the wrong place, we're going to experience spiritual shipwreck. Now, the evidence of wrong affections can be seen anywhere. People can go to a football game and yell and scream like a maniac come to church and nothing moves them spiritual affections are out of whack sunday we had a great service two men walked the aisle for salvation that's a blessing man i'm telling you i'm still on a cloud nine about that that's exciting good turnout reception was good the the uh you know i i can tell you Pastor Forsberg will tell you this too. Sometimes you preach and it's like bouncing back at you and then sometimes it's just everybody's dialed in. It was just, it was a good day. Next Sunday we'll be baptizing four people. Six people joining the church. That's exciting. If that doesn't excite you, but a pigskin getting kicked through a, you know, excites you, there's a problem. I'm not saying it's, 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 football's okay. I'm not saying anything bad about it. Except that let's not get our priorities out of whack. Set our affection on things above. If it is more exciting, if sports or whatever is more exciting to you than seeing God do something to somebody's heart and life, this is a problem with our affections. We ought to examine where our affections are at. And, uh, Jonah, exceeding glad for the gourd, exceeding upset at God. Bad affections. It was, he had work. So, Jonah's reaction also was bad because there's no gratefulness for it few things put a person so quickly in a sour mood and a bad attitude than ungratefulness. On the other hand, few things brighten as the spirit of a man as much as being truly thankful. I visit a lot of people, and I always love it. I, your dad's one of them. I mean, just a blessing. i got physical problems. Morning, shake a stick at. He's always positive. He's always thankful. He's always got a good attitude. And I just... I'm encouraged by that. And then there's others. The smallest problem, I mean, it's the end of the world, and complain and whine and moan, and we just love hanging around people like that, don't we? Complaining Christians show little gratefulness to God or man. All right, now we're going to get to the smiting, because God's rebuke hasn't worked, so now he's got to get his attention. God's Jonah's paid no attention to God's gentle rebuke, so now he moves to the next step of smiting him with a rod. It's going to sting, you could say, literally burn him because Jonah will wish he could die. How sad when we have to be knocked down before we come to our senses. How many times in our life have we had to come to the pig pen ready to eat the slop the pigs are eating before we finally, you know, come to to ourselves. That's what happened to the prodigal son. He came to himself, realized the mess he had made of his own life. Now, the Lord took two severe actions here. He he sent a worm. Look at verse 7. God prepared a worm the morning rose, again like the whale, like the storm, the worm obeyed. Nature does better than mankind, doesn't it? Uh, for a day, Jonah enjoyed the shade, but he because he treated his blessing so poorly, he lost it. The goodness of God was to lead to repentance. It did not. He still had a bad attitude, so God sent a worm. God still sends worms today. Sometimes it's a financial setback. Loss of health loss of a job. This, these things happening doesn't always mean God's chasing you, obviously. But when those things happen, we ought to examine our hearts. And then the second thing uh, it was the wind. He sent a vehement east wind, verse 8, after the gourd withered. I'm not going to go into the the uh, the area he was at. It's called a Sirocco, a sandy wind. It's a vicious uh, wind that blows. It's, it's a bad thing to, to experience. It was so bad that Jonah fainted. By the way, he had no protection now. The gourd's gone, so... He fainted and wished in himself to die, verse 8. After Jonah was overcome by the heat, God spoke to him again. And we see the stubbornness of Jonah. He's so stubborn. Uh, he asked Jonah the question he asked the first time, "Dost thou well, to be angry with the boys? God rebukes, then he chastens, and he comes back. Let's see if we've made any progress here. This time Jonah uh, answers the question. I do well to be angry, even unto death. I wonder how many times God just shakes his head at us. What a stubborn fool. What a stubborn, angry person Jonah is. Almost like some of us. If we're honest, right? We can look at Jonah and point fingers, but he's like many of us are. Evil doesn't give up easily. Evil doesn't like to give up. It hangs on. And when we look at Jonah's stubbornness, we're amazed at how stupid his stubbornness was, but what does God have to do for us sometimes? We're the same way. Peter spoke of this willfulness of evil. Uh, in 2 Peter 3, 5, he said, Unbelievers willfully are ignorant of spiritual truth. It explains why people still argue for abortion, even though we know what it does to the body of a little human being. Willfulness, willfully ignorant. And uh, sin is stubborn. All right, got to move on here, uh, close this up. So we see the searching, the sitting, the shadowing, the smiting, the stubbornness, and then finally the scolding in verse 10. God rebukes Jonah because he had pity on a gourd, but not on people. His values were twisted. His affections were distorted. His sympathies were biased. Jonah had pity on the gourd while God would spare Nineveh. Pity and spare come from the same Hebrew word. It means to have compassion on something or someone. And this is ridiculous that Jonah would have more compassion for a plant than he had for people. And God's trying to put this in perspective. You 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 want uh, the gourd and and I, I spared people. It's about people. Don't forget about people, Jonah. And how often. Do we put our efforts and our resources on things and ignore people? We can do this in ministry. We can do this in a church. And, and I, we gotta keep, we've got to keep the main thing always about souls, about people. Heart for the harvest. It's not about building a nice building. We need that, but it should be about the harvest. And why do we, by the way? Why do we build buildings and why do we make it comfortable? Why do we enlarge it so we can have more harvest? That's what it's ultimately about. And so we got to have that as our main focus. How much of our time, our affection, our attention is in the gourd category in our life? The greatest proof of unbalanced compassion is how little mankind values his soul compared to other areas. Mark 8, 36, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That's the proper priority. But we get these mixed up. Money is more important than morals. Jobs more than family. Popularity more than character. We go on down the list. We get our values mixed up. And uh, we also, in Jonah here, see an unbalanced compassion. The Apostle Paul, he had the right compassion. In Acts 20, 31, he said, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. In Romans 10:1, my heart's prayer and desire... To God, for Israel, is that they might be saved. How often the work of God is hindered because we're more like Jonah than we are like Paul. They get caught up in the gourd rather than on people. Where's your focus at tonight? What upsets you? Uh, Where's your compassion at? This is one of the great warnings of the book of Jonah. A Much needed warning in our day today that keep it about people. That's what God's saying at the very end there. You're talking about a you're, you're all bent out of shape about a gourd. I saved people. We People got their hearts right here. And the book of Jonah, interestingly enough, ends with a question. What happened? What happened next? Wouldn't we like to know? We don't know. Maybe his heart remained unchanged. Maybe he sat there with his arms folded, he stayed in the bad attitude. We don't know what happened to Jonah. Maybe he got right with God once again, like he did before. But I think it's appropriate that this book ends with a question. Because the question is for us too. What are we going to do in this area of physical things versus spiritual things? Uh, What will we value? What will we have compassion for? Will it be people or our gourds, if you will, and so at last Jonah becomes a living epistle to his own unrepentant people. As I said, forty-eight verses; four were for Nineveh getting right. Forty-four were for Jonah, God trying to get Jonah right. Would to God that we're more responsive than that, and we have the right spirit and the right attitude. Uh, so the book of Jonah begins with a bad attitude. And it ends with a bad attitude. Here's what's encouraging. I'm not trying to excuse the attitude by any means. but Here's what's encouraging to me. That God still was able to save a city with a prophet with a bad attitude. And I'm not, again, I'm not excusing it. But I'm glad that God can work with us despite ourselves. And in, in all of our weaknesses and all of the our failures, God can still do a work. Sometimes he has to put us in the belly of a fish, wake us up, slap us around a little bit. And uh, we've been there too, but uh, he uses us and he'll use you. And Jonah, we could call him the bad attitude prophet because that's what he had, uh, but God still used him, and I'm grateful for him. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you for the opportunity.